said, but I'm really excited to be here. We've talked about doing this for a long time, and uh, it finally came together. So I appreciate that. I appreciate being with you. I want to talk maybe some preliminary things about this since we've got uh, today and tomorrow we're going to be covering a lot of territory, but we are going to have a question and answer session at the very end after uh, tomorrow's part four is done. And I want to say this, there are challenges to this topic of how we got the Bible. There are those that have offered some pretty good uh, charges against the credibility of the Bible, the trustworthiness of the Bible. And so I don't intend to pretend that those problems don't exist. I don't intend to act like everything's great and there are no serious questions or serious problems about uh, biblical credibility because there are. But I do believe that as we talk about these, we can see the legitimacy of the Bible story, the accuracy of the Bible as it has come down to us, and that will strengthen us, that will help us. It'll certainly educate us on something that is uh, very important that we understand about biblical origins, how the Bible came down to us. Because there's so much stuff that's out there. It is amazing to me, and I, I could have chosen one of at least 50 articles I have in my library from various major magazines. This happens to be from U.S. News and World Report, but I've got uh, Newsweek and Time magazine articles they're always publishing something about the Bible, and maybe you've read uh, some or most of those yourself. This one is entitled, Who Wrote the Bible? It is the foundation of the Christian faith. On its words rests the very existence of the church and the hope of salvation for believers through the ages. Many consider it the only dependable an abiding revelation of God to humanity. Yet the New Testament, in many ways, is a mysterious and enigmatic collection of writings, one that has entranced, enthralled, and perplexed scholars and theologians for nearly 2,000 years. It is often called the Testament of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Jesus didn't write a word of it. And... While some of the writings bear the names of those who walked with him on the dusty roads of Judea, centuries of scholarship have turned up little convincing evidence that his 12 closest disciples did much writing either. Who then wrote the 27 books that make up the traditional New Testament canon? Could these books have been written by contemporaries of Jesus? Are they close to their original form? Or were they revised by early church leaders to reflect changing views of who Jesus was, to address the problems of a growing church, or even to advance political agendas? All right, that's just the first two paragraphs. But already you'll notice that there are the seeds of doubt that are being planted about the credibility of the Bible. We don't really know who wrote it. Jesus didn't write any of it. And we really don't know who wrote it. And we don't know whether those books that bear the names were actually those guys. Or if it was somebody much later. And we don't know if those writings were messed with. Somewhere along the line people got in there and they started making changes and alterations and all of these things. And so... This particular article is five pages long, so there's obviously a lot more that's being said. But what's interesting is nearly everything that is said about the Bible and the biblical origins in this article, we're going to touch on, and some of which we're going to cover quite thoroughly in the next four sessions. So here we go 
we're strapped in and we're ready to go and start talking about this very important topic. As you can see on the screen, how does the Bible come down to us? From the time when God first placed it in the mind of His prophets. All right, so with this, it originates in God's mind. Then God is that which gives it to His prophets, what is that which is in His mind. The prophets then go through this process of writing, and then it goes through copying and then through recopying. And then it goes into the translation into the many different languages. That right there basically is breaking down what we're going to talk about starting tonight and then three sessions tomorrow. Tonight we're going to talk about the inspiration of the Bible. We're not going to talk about evidences for inspiration. That's a whole different uh, kind of seminar where we're talking about prophetic evidence, medical evidence, archaeological evidence, geographic evidence. There are lots of evidences that the Bible could not possibly have been written by man. But we're not going to talk about that in this seminar. We're going to talk about biblical claims uh, for inspiration. And then the first session tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about the canon of Scripture. As you know, the Bible has 66 books in it, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books. How did those books get in there? That's what we'll talk about first thing tomorrow morning. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, 10 o'clock, is that right? not right, Michael? So uh, be sure to be here for that. Then we're going to talk about the transmission of the text. We do not have any originals, what are called autographs. All we have are copies of copies. And Bible critics have said that because we don't have the originals, the Bible has been messed up pretty bad. And the fact that it's been copied over and over again, it's been messed up really bad. So much so that there's really no reason for any logically thinking person to believe that what we have in our Bibles today is remotely close to what Moses wrote, Paul wrote, Matthew wrote, or any other New Testament writer. We'll talk about that one in the second session uh, tomorrow. One of my favorite sessions of all. I love that one. And then we'll wrap up talking about the English Bible. The journey from the biblical languages to our English Bibles today. We'll talk about the various translations and the journey that the Bible went through in order to get us to uh, these translations that we have before us. I suspect I'll say something about the translation that you use as well as some others, and hopefully you'll find that uh, something that's informative and valuable to you. So, here we go. I want to talk about the biblical claim for inspiration. Any discussion regarding the Bible needs to start here. It needs to start with this idea of inspiration. Again, we're not going to focus on evidences for inspiration, but just the biblical claims. Now, when we look at the Bible, there are basically two ways that God has communicated to mankind. <clears throat> One is what is known as revelation, and the other is inspiration. Revelation is where God is giving some information to man that there's no way he could have figured out on his own. He is revealing something to man that is a part of God's plan or is maybe something about God's creative process. Something is being revealed. Inspiration we'll talk some more about in just a minute. So we look at a passage like 2 Peter chapter 1 that says... And so we have received prophetic word, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. All right, let's absorb that verse for, before we go on to verse 21. All of the prophecies that are a part of our Bible, and there are a lot of them, 
is not a matter of any private interpretation. It was not something that some guy somewhere is saying, I think it means this, and so I'm going to write it down to mean this. Or I, I'm going to describe it this way, or I'm going to describe it that way. They did not mess with what it was that God revealed to them, this revelation. He goes on to say, For prophecy never came by the will of man. This was not something that they were saying, I want a revelation. <laughs> Pick me. God was the one who chose these men to give him that revelation from God. They, it wasn't that they wanted it. It was a part of God's choice. But holy men, that's why God chose them, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. All right, so what happened was they were given this by revelation. The Holy Spirit is the one that provided them the information that God was given. For example, I love the book of Ezekiel. And in chapter 1 and in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, he has an amazing vision. We could spend all of today and tomorrow just talking about this one vision. And as this particular artist has tried to represent the magnitude of this vision, there's no artistic rendition that's fully going to capture the marvel of Ezekiel chapter 1. But Ezekiel sees this magnificent throne of God with fire and lightning and the, uh, the, the entire scene is just so magnificent. And he sees these four living creatures and he sees the wheel in the middle of a wheel with a wheel inside of it and eyes all about. And it was just an incredible vision that is being shown to Ezekiel. I use this as an illustration of revelation. You're not going to come up with this. You're not going to sit in your study and come up with a vision of God that is anything like this. But God was revealing Himself to Ezekiel in a wonderful, awesome, magnificent way. Because Ezekiel was going to have a very tough task ahead of him that God goes on to describe in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Ezekiel. But he wanted Ezekiel to know just how great a God he serves. And despite all of the troubles and the uh, obstacles that he's going to deal with, this is the God that he's serving. And that's the God that we serve too. And so as Ezekiel was inspired by this vision of God, as we read in the pages of God's Word and we can see the description of God, what a magnificent God He is. Well, that's revelation. That's God revealing Himself some attributes that He possesses that man would not have known otherwise. But let's talk about this idea of inspiration. The process of inspiration is one that I believe is best described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for training, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be equipped, thoroughly furnished, and every good work. All right, so the process of inspiration is God is exerting a supernatural influence over the writer so that what is written is exactly, is exactly as God intended. Now in that box that's in the bottom right, it has the actual Greek phrase that's found in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's pasagraphe theonustos. That all scripture is God breathed. Now that middle word, graphe, is a word that we have a number of English words that has come off of that word, like graphic design or stenographer, is all based upon this word graphe. It occurs 
about 50 times in the Greek New Testament, and it means that which is written down. But there's more. It means holy writing. So the Bible would not refer to something that you would write or I would write as graphe. It's a, it's a particular word describing that which is holy writ, holy writing. And then that bottom word, theonistos, is actually two words merged into one in Greek, a compound word that means God breathed. All right, so all scripture is inspired. That's the word inspired, but it literally is God breathed. Now you've heard that before probably, but let's think a little bit about the ramifications of this very interesting word. It's the only time in all the New Testament that this word is found. In order for words to be spoken, you need to draw air into your lungs. Then you contract the muscles and it forces the air back out. And so as it, the air comes out, your tongue and your lips uh, make words. That's this word. That it's God breathed. Now there are no words that are spoken that don't require breath. you got to have the breath in order for the words to come out. Alright, so this is an amazing verse and it's making an amazing claim that the scripture is that which is God-breathed. And so by implication, we would understand that it's also claiming every word spoken. Every word is that which came from the breath of God. That's why it's profitable for those four things that he goes on to name. But there's more that to me is an amazing part of 2 Timothy 3.16. It says all Scripture is inspired. All Scripture is God-breathed. So now we have moved past the idea of God speaking directly to these prophets to now what it is that God has spoken is actually written down. That's that word graphe that's got the red arrow by it. All scripture, that which is written down, is God breathed. So our Bibles now rise to a whole new level. It's a completely different book than any other book that has ever been written. And this is the reason why. Because it is the book that is God breathed. There isn't another book that is. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this phrase, plenary verbal inspiration, but it's a fancy way of saying word-for-word inspiration. Now, I'm real big on words, Bible words, but this is why. Because out of the many different words that might have been chosen, God chose this word. Why? Why did he choose that word? You know, sometimes, for example, we talk about the word for baptism, baptizo. God wanted it to be baptizo. Why? Why that word as opposed to some other words? Because God is trying to communicate something specific. That's why we say, well, the word baptizo means to dip or to plunge or to immerse. It doesn't mean to pour. That's another Greek word. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. That's another Greek word. So there's a specific word that's being used, and that's the word God chose. So 2 Timothy 3.16 is helping us understand the way it is that God has given us this word and its inspiration. All right, so the difference then between revelation and inspiration is this. Revelation is where God is revealing something to men that they would not have known aspects about God's plan, aspects about the nature and character of God, predictions of future events. God has to reveal that to man. But then men have the job of writing it down and of communicating that. 
to other people in the sermons that they preach. Well, that's inspiration. This is where God makes sure that what they write down is exactly what God wanted written down. So now it's no longer they're writing down something that they didn't know. God had already revealed stuff to them. Now they're writing down what God has revealed on the Bible and they're being inspired by God to make sure that it is exactly what God wants. That's why it's God-breathed, because it's exactly God's Word. Interesting claims about this idea of the Bible and inspiration. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Now, some of you are still in school, but several of you are out of school. But do you remember when you were in school and English was your favorite subject? Didn't get any amens with that one. Well, probably designing sentences wasn't one of your favorite things either then. But one of the things that we know is that for something to become a sentence, it requires a subject and a verb, and typically a direct object is helpful. This verse says a lot, but if we were going to boil it down, it would be subject, God. Verb, spoke. So while there's other things here, the real key of Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, is that point. God has not remained silent. God spoke. Here is a biblical claim that God did, in fact, communicate with man. The Bible, the Old Testament specifically, is divided into three categories. You've got the category of the law that includes five books, sometimes called the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the prophets, and you can see the prophetic books there. And then the writings is the third category. This is something that in Jesus would make reference to, for example, in Luke 24, verses 44 and 45, when he says, Now he said to them, to the apostles, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. All right, so Jesus broke it down. The last category was Psalms, and that's because that was the, the title of what we're calling the writings. Uh, some call it wisdom literature books. They're, it's called by different things, but... Um, the Jews were referred to the first book. So we have this threefold division. Now what we want to do is talk a little bit about this idea of Hebrews 1 and verse 1 that God has spoken. So if we look at that first category, in the book of Genesis, you've got God speaking directly in creation. As a matter of fact, Ten times in Genesis chapter 1, you have the phrase, and God said. So you're in the very first book, in the very first chapter of that first book, and automatically you are being inundated with the idea that God is speaking. God is the one who is communicating. And then you have things like God's thoughts that are recorded. But we could have backed up. God is speaking to Adam in the garden. God talks to Adam, he talks to Eve, he talks to the serpent in the garden, the garden. He talks to Noah, he talks to Abraham, talks to Isaac, talks to Jacob. There's a lot of communication that's being done in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> then in the book of Exodus, you've got God speaking in the burning bush. You've got God with a powerful voice uh, speaking to the Israelites who are at the foot of Mount Sinai. In the book of Leviticus, you have the phrase, I am the Lord. 
Uh, 51 times that particular phrase is found in the book of Leviticus. So you'll have a, a statement or a law that's being given followed by, I am the Lord. I'm the one that's giving you these laws, giving you these rules and regulations regarding the various sacrifices. In the book of Numbers, the very first verse, and the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. All right, so we start the book of Numbers. We're reminded that this is what God is saying. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, you've got the phrase, the Lord your God, or something equivalent to that. There are 300 times. The Lord's command, or the Lord's commandments, 123 times. Hear the words of the Lord, or something equivalent to that, is going to be found around 70 some odd times. Notice that how we're being inundated with these claims of God speaking. God is giving information to the people. We've got things like Exodus 24 and verse 4. And Moses wrote down the words of the Lord. Uh, Exodus 34 and verse 27. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words. For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So God is communicating <clears throat> to the people throughout uh, these books. And then we move on to the second category. We talked about the law, the prophets, and the writings. In the writings, we've got one particular phrase pronounced ko amar adonai. That's what you have there in the Hebrew. That means thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, says the Lord. That particular phrase is found 2,500 times in the prophetic books or a phrase uh, similar to that. Now, those of you that have your Old Testaments would like to ask you to turn to Malachi chapter 4. The last book of the Old Testament, chapter 4, verse that we're actually not going to look at the passage. But I want you to look at your Bible and the page number that you have. So here's the last book of the Old Testament. Uh, what page number do you have there? Somebody just call out a number. What is it? 1299. Anybody else? 13. Now, you're not going to get an award or anything if you've got the most pages. We're just... All right, mine is 1334. We have anybody about 700-something? All right. And anybody higher than 1500? 1564. Anybody higher than that? Um, okay. Here is the point I want to make. This phrase, thus saith the Lord is found in the prophetic books over 2,000 times. Now, if your Bible has 1,000 pages, then that means that on average, this phrase is found two and a half times per page. If it's less than that, then it, on average, it occurs more than two and a half times per page. Now, that doesn't mean that you couldn't find a page that doesn't have the phrase. But the point is, that phrase is, it, it occurs a lot in the prophetic books. So we're told again and again and again, over 2,000 times, we're told this is the Lord that's saying this. Okay, time out. Need to make a point right here before we go on. You do not have to believe this. You can say, I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. God gives you that right to reject what it is that the Bible is saying about itself. But here is a point that I want to add on to that or make in addition to that. You cannot deny that the Bible isn't claiming to be from God. You can't deny it's claiming to be from God. You can say, I'm no, I don't believe it. 
But you cannot deny that it's claiming to be from God. So from that point on, then, then we have some choices to make. If we believe that it's from God, then that's going to kind of change things <laughs> on how we treat the Bible, how we look at the Bible. If, if we're accepting the claims, if we reject the claims, then you know, the Bible is not going to have a role in our lives. The very fact that you've got thousands of times that there are thus saith the Lord type of passages. And you know what? That doesn't even count. Passages like Jeremiah 1 and verse 2 where it says the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. Or Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Joel chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of the Lord came uh, to Joel. It doesn't include the heavenly visions that came to men like Isaiah and Ezekiel. We're not even counting those in this overall number of times that God is speaking. So the first key to inspiration is it's got a claim to be inspired. We're not going to ascribe the designation of an inspired writing to something that never claims to be inspired. But the Bible is claiming to be from God. Now, look at some of these other passages that don't uh, fit into the category of the thus saith the Lord. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, David says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and His word was on my tongue. Isaiah chapter 34, seek from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these will be missing. Well, who wrote it, Isaiah or was it the book of the Lord? Well, the passage tells us that it's the book of the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 13, And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book. Notice, they're my words but they're written in this book. So we have numerous times in the Bible that you've got these claims, these claims that they are, in fact, from God. Now, we could do the same with that third category, that third category of the writings, but I think you're sort of getting the idea by now. We know that Solomon wrote uh, a number of the books that are in that uh, section, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Well, Solomon received his wisdom directly from God. Well, and we, all, we know that David was inspired because the Bible says that he was a prophet. There's a man by the name of Asaph. You know the name Asaph? Asaph wrote 12 Psalms. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus calls Asaph a prophet. So that explains the inspiration or shows the inspiration of those uh, prophetic or those that one classification called writings. And then we've got passages like this. Uh, Matthew 5 and verse 18, where Jesus says, For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. All right, if Jesus is referring to the Hebrew Old Testament, which he uh, most certainly is, the smallest letter is what's called a yod. And in size, it would be written about the same size as a comma. So that's the smallest letter. And then he says the smallest stroke of a letter. Well, like the Hebrew ta has uh, a curvature and then it's got a little foot-like extension on the end of it. Well, that's the smallest stroke of a letter. All right, now think, think about this passage. Pen strokes make letters. Letters make words. Words make sentences. Sentences make paragraphs. Paragraphs make books. And then the books are those 
that compose our Bibles. So Jesus is saying even the smallest pinstrokes are composing the very thing that I want recorded. And not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke of a letter is going to pass away until everything is accomplished that God wants accomplished because it's His Word. They're, those words and sentences are giving us God's plan for man. And so Jesus is saying every word is inspired because every letter, every pen stroke is exactly what it was that God wanted recorded. All right, going back to this passage in Hebrews 1. God, who in many parts and in many ways spoke in times past to the fathers and prophets, He has spoken in these last days to us by His Son. All right, so there's an added element that's in this amazing uh, two verses in Hebrews. If you believe in God, then it's natural to believe that God has spoken. But how has God spoken? Is it possible that the Bible is how God has spoken? Well, the Hebrew writer says that God has spoken to us by His Son. But like the U.S. News and World Report article that I read a minute ago, said Jesus didn't write any of the New Testament. And that's true. He didn't. All right, so how did He speak to us by His Son? When we speak of the inspiration in the New Testament, we looked at the Old Testament that claims frequently to be inspired of God. Now we move into the 27 books of the New Testament. Same thing. We're being inundated with this idea of inspiration. These are not the writings of men, but the writings of God Himself. So we've got to begin with Jesus. John the Baptist said of Jesus in John 3 and verse 34... He whom God sent speaks the words of God. Jesus claimed to be speaking the words of God in passages like uh, John 6 and verse 63, John 12 and verse 49. He told the Jews, My teaching is not mine, but him who sent me in John 7 and verse 16. But it's true that Jesus didn't write a single word in the New Testament. So what is the link between God to Jesus, to our New Testaments? Well, the answer to that, the key to that, is what's known as the inspiration of the apostles. Jesus had personally taught the apostles. Yet there was so much more that they needed to know, in addition to all that Jesus did, that they would need to remember. Therefore, Jesus promised them some that was going to help them. He promised them the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who would guide them into all truth. He had said earlier that this Holy Spirit, called the Comforter, even the Holy Spirit, who the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things and shall remind you of all the things that I said to you. John 14 and verse 26. Well, they received that Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so from the day of Pentecost on, people recognized, now listen, people recognized that Christ was speaking through the apostles. Well, that's how God is speaking to us through His Son. So Jesus would say, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. That's why Paul would say, and for this reason we also constantly thank God, that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. All right, now let's think a little bit about this verse. He said, you received from us, what? The word of God's message. And then he said he was thankful that they received it for what it really is. It's not a bunch of guys talking about whatever. What it really is, is the Word of God. And so Paul is thanking the church at Thessalonica because they were smart enough to see the difference between some men that were talking and Paul as an apostle that was in fact communicating the Word of God. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, the things I write to you are the commandment of the Lord. They're not my stuff. I'm not coming up with this. I'm not making the rules. These are God's commandments, and I'm giving them to you. You might say, but Denny, I think we still have a problem. And that is that there are men that wrote books in the New Testament that were not apostles. So I get the apostles. The apostles were promised the Holy Spirit, and that he was going to guide them into all truth. But how do you explain Mark, Luke, that wrote two books, Luke and Acts? How do you explain James, Jude? You see, we've got a number of New Testament books that were not written by apostles of Jesus. The answer to that is found in this particular Greek word, uh, prophetia. You can see the word prophet or prophecy comes in that from that word. It means the ability to re, uh, receive to, uh, and communicate revelations from God. All right, think about that for a minute. The people that received this gift had the ability to receive and then communicate revelations from God. When we read 1 Corinthians 12, we read that there are nine what Paul calls manifestations of the Spirit. Sometimes we refer to them as spiritual gifts, although there are more than those nine. But these nine are in a special class by themselves, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. One of those nine is this idea of being a prophet, the gift of prophecy. All right, so the apostles laid their hands on men, and then the Holy Spirit, according to the text in 1 Corinthians 12, would then choose which of the nine gifts they were going to receive. And some men received the gift of prophecy. And so in Acts 8 and verse 18, when the gospel was preached to the Samaritans, they saw that gifts were bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands. And this is when the guy Simon tries to buy that power, that whoever he lays his hands on, they'll receive these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we know uh, what it is that has told him about the evil intent of his heart, uh, wanting that gift for his own selfish uh, purposes. But the point is that this gift of prophecy was given through the laying on of apostles' hands. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6 is telling us. Paul is reminding Timothy that the gift that he has was through the laying on of his hands. So, God spoke to us by His Son. Jesus then sent the Spirit to the apostles. The apostles laid hands on men and made them prophets. Say, all right, Denny, I think I'm catching up. What we're learning then is that all of the New Testament books were written by one of two categories of people. Apostles or prophets. And that would be right. You'd be right. There's not a third category. They're either written by an apostle or they're written by prophets. Now... Let's see if there are some verses that would confirm this. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Beginning with verse 3, going down through verse 5. That by revelation, notice there's that revelation word, there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, <coughs> as it has now been revealed. Notice this. Now been revealed to who? His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Those are the only two categories. 
God has given us His divine message through two categories of men, either apostles or prophets. That's all there is. Now, if you just go back to the last chapter, to Ephesians chapter 2, notice that he says uh, in regard to the church, verse 20, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. All right, so there, there are the two categories. So one of the questions I get asked a lot is about the book of Hebrews. Who wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, we don't know because the book does not give us a name. But this is what we do know, that the writer of that book was either an apostle or a prophet. And the people of God all knew who that person was and knew that he was one or the other. That, we can rest assured, is uh, true about the authorship of Hebrews. How does the church fit into this? When we think about what the Bible is telling us, the church certainly plays a prominent role. Jesus is the cornerstone built upon the teachings that Jesus gave the apostles and prophets. It's made up of Christians who are living stones, being built a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. So obviously we're not talking about a building, but this is who we are. We are um, the church, those living stones that Peter's talking about. God is the focal point of the church. It's through the church that we come to God, that we offer our worship to God. It's the pillar and support of the truth, according to 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. When we think about what God has inspired in His Word, we're not going to disregard the church. We're not going to minimize the importance of the church. You know the fastest growing religious group in the United States today? Or what's called the nuns. Not N-U-N, but N-O-N-E-S. Meaning their affiliation is with no religious body. None. But... Jesus, who inspired the apostles and prophets, have taught us the importance of the church and how the church is a part of God's plan, that the church is what Jesus died for, Acts 20, 28, that he built, Matthew 16, 13 through 16, that he is going to save, Ephesians 5, 23 through 25. So the church is... Very, very important in the plan of God. Then we look at other passages like this amazing passage in 1 Corinthians 2.13. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Notice what Paul is saying. What we are speaking is not words taught by human wisdom. We didn't come up with this stuff. It was not created by us. We didn't make it up. Well, where did it come from? He explains it's these words that were taught by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus promised to send to the apostles is what Paul is claiming that this is where they got their information. Okay, as we conclude, since the Bible is verbally, word-for-word inspired, what does this mean? First of all, we need to study it. And study it carefully, more so than any other book. Second, we've got to allow it to guide our thinking and our beliefs. It's the Word of God. It should be the one that forms our... What do you think about the church? Well, whatever you think about the church should line up with what the Bible says about the church. What do you think about the government? What do you think about marriage? What do you think about the Christian in the workplace? 
The Bible should be that which guides our belief system, directs what it is that we believe about so many different topics. It should guide our thinking. Why? Because it's from God. It's the Word of God. Third, we need to obey it. We need to understand that in our daily lives, the Bible is our guide. It is that light, that lamp, that which is the one that provides us the direction that we need to go in our lives. And the only reason, I mean, Mike and I went to Mardell's today and there are tons of self-help books and how do you can make your life better and your marriage better. And the, but God's word is that which sure is the one that directs us day after day in what it is that we're supposed to be and do. Having said that, as we prepare to sing the song of encouragement, we do need to think about our own spiritual life and our relationship to this book. Are we following what it is that God has revealed in His Word? So many people in the world are not. So many people in the world are ignoring what the Bible says. If tonight you're not sure what it is that you need to do, we would be delighted to sit down and open up the Bible and share with you what God says that you need to do to become a New Testament Christian. Maybe you've done that, but you haven't really been as faithful as God wants you to be. And we'd love to pray with you and study with you, encourage you however we can. If you're ready to obey the gospel tonight, we would love to assist you in that any way that we can uh, help you or pray with you. Let us know now while we stand, sing this song of encouragement.